Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, there we go. All right, my friends, you've tuned in to the home of America's conservative, not bitter talk. Your host, Todd Huff. Email, as always. I shouldn't say as always. It used to be a little bit different for those of you that have listened for some time, but it's been this way for quite some time. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. Welcome your thoughts, questions, feedback, adoration, and praise always at that email address. So, you know, time flies. <clears throat> Here we are um, approaching, what, mid-March. Here we are approaching the end of another busy week. And, you know, when we hit a Friday, I try to, I don't know, I go back and I look at some of the things we, we didn't get to. I look at, of course, the daily the daily news as well. A couple of things I want to hit on really briefly off the top. I don't know if you saw this. And in fact, if you, you didn't see this anywhere, if you had been um, following the media, the mainstream media, President Biden in his and his administration's infinite wisdom have released from Club Gitmo hat tip to the great Rush Limbaugh there. Club Gitmo has released the 20th 9-11 hijacker. That's right. Muhammad Ahmad Al-Khatani is now back in Saudi Arabia, caught a plane back from Club Gitmo on Monday. Um, no, no word as to whether or not he was allowed to fly the plane. I mean, there was no pillars of smoke anywhere so i guess we can assume that he you know was flown safely to saudi arabia and i mean i 20th i think about this this was the hijacker there's 19 if for, for those of you that uh, remember the details i know everyone remembers 911 but there were only i say only but <clears throat> there was not a 20th there were four planes that had were supposed to have five um five hijackers one of them only had four and because the 20th was actually turned away from being admitted to the united states about a month earlier in august of 2001 um but the other 19 of course boarded the planes and we of course know what know what happened there but i wanted to just mention this off the top because once we get going on some things we're going to get into a lot of – I want to talk about Russia today, but I want to talk about this first because unless you read alternative uh, conservative news sources, you might not have seen this. And this is, re- this is relevant, right? This is – in fact, I want to play here off the top. And I've had this in my queue of things to get to for quite, for quite some time. This, this will – Connect the dots. Al Qaeda, Russia, President Obama back in 2012, 
debating. This is the sit down at the at the round table debate, the very presidential dignified debate where you sit down and you look like you're having a cup of coffee and that sort of thing. But Obama and Mitt Romney back in 20, 2012. And we'll remember, you remember this, Mitt Romney said that the greatest geopolitical threat the United States faced, this was back in 2012. 2012. So for those who are uh, schooled in the Bernie Sanders School of Math, that is 10 years ago. 2012, it's 2022. 2022 minus 2012 is boom, 10 years. Almost, not quite, because this was uh, in the debate season prior to the 2012 elections. But Obama and Romney were sitting here. Obama got, if you remember this, Obama got shellacked in the first debate with Mitt Romney. I don't know if they came in cocky. I don't know if they came in unprepared. But Obama got clobbered in that particular debate. So this, I believe, I didn't look this up. I think this was the second one. I could be wrong, but I think it was the second debate where Obama performed much better, looked like he actually thought about the things he was going to say uh, prior to taking the stage in this debate. And I, this is relevant. This is 10 years ago, but it's also relevant today because, again, Romney framed the debate and said our biggest geopolitical foe is Russia. And Obama Obama wanted to, of course, minimize that, change that narrative, um, mock Romney. Obama was uh, is often portrayed as the smartest president, smartest president ever to step into the Oval Office. I mean, this guy had it all. Jump shots. Fantastic speeches, IQ off the charts, just so educated, making mincemeat of anyone who dare cross his path intellectually. And that's what this that's what this debate was supposed to establish, clearly in the minds of uh, the American voter. So also you'll recall that Obama would have been president at this point in time for four years. For four years. And even though voters did not hold Obama responsible for anything, and this, by the way, is what the Democrats are crossing their fingers on for Biden, they are hoping there's a repeat in 2022 and 2024 um, of what we saw in 2012, which was basically Barack Obama not being held accountable for anything that happened in his first term. In fact, In fact, exit polling showed that many Americans still blamed George W. Bush for the malaise and the difficulties that, lo and behold, liberalism caused for us, radical leftist policies caused for us back 10 years ago, just like they are today. Although I will say in hindsight, we would welcome welcome the minimal damage in comparison to what Obama, you know, by comparing Obama's damage to the economy, to just the way Americans think and, and behave and believe in their country and capitalism and so forth, compared to what we see today, which is magnitudes greater than what we saw under 
President Obama back in his his term in office, his two terms in office. So that's the stage. And because you've been president for four years, you really can't, if you, if you admit certain things, and you see Jen Psaki do this all the time, you see her do this all the time at the podium, never accepting any responsibility whatsoever for anything that's uh, come up that happens that's negative. It's always like, for example, gas prices. Gas prices, in her mind, not her mind, in her argument, this is not, they don't believe this because they know it's not true, but they think they can get away peddling this to the American people. But they want you to believe that gas prices were fine. The only reason we have a gas problem problem with high prices is because of Ukraine, because of Russia invading Ukraine. That's why Biden takes great efforts to say things like Putin's war. He wants you to think, you know, Putin's the one that's caused this. And I'm, look, I am not saying that that's not accurate. What I am saying is that everything that's happened here that is bad, especially as it pertains to things like supply chain crisis, empty shelves, inflation. Did you see, incidentally, inflation for the 12-month period ending February 28th is even higher than the one that ended January 31st? Congratulations, Joseph R. Biden. I think it's 7.9%. I think it's what it was. 7.9% inflation versus 7.5 or 7.6. I think it was 7.5%. Uh, was the an, was the annual rate uh, for the period ending January 31st. So we're headed clearly in the wrong direction. So clearly in the wrong direction, it doesn't even matter what opinions are. Well, it does because people are the ones who vote. But as far as reality is concerned, there's no debate. There's no discussion of any rational thinking human being that says we're headed in the right direction. So, that's the scene. Let's go back in time here a little bit because we're supposed to believe the narrative now is Republicans. Republicans have cozied up to Russia. This this is fascinating to me. And you know, I'm a conservative. I have a large amount of uh, libertarian, uh, a streak of libertarian in me. I don't agree with, with everything, but I do believe... The government should not be involved unless absolutely necessary um, you know, as per the Constitution and a rational discussion of where the responsibility of the government begins you know, and, and where our liberties actually lie. I'm, I'm in that camp of people that believe in, in freedom and in liberty and in small government. So but I grew up in the 1980s. I've got friends who have served in, in the military through you know, all sorts of parts of American history. I mean, modern history. I mean, of course, you know, we all uh, know uh, veterans who have served in, in Vietnam, in Desert Storm, those who served throughout the Cold War, those who served in Afghanistan and Iraq, and... <laughs> I, I hope we're not on the path of talking about veterans who served uh, in in Ukraine. Although if you listen to some of these leftists, and, and this is perhaps the most troubling thing of all, how quickly these leftists, who literally were 
defending the Soviets back in the 80s and the early 90s and the Cold War. I had classes. I've talked to you about this. Liberals loved the socialists, the USSR. They loved the communists. They simply did. There is no amount of rewriting American history that is going to do that for anyone who has a brain. It might work for those who believe whatever they're told without answering or asking any questions, but it's simply not the case. It's simply not the case. Republicans were the one. Ronald Reagan was the one who ultimately broke the uh, the back of the Soviet Union with his dealings and interactions and so forth with Mikhail Gorbachev, which that was an interesting relationship. I mean, in today's world, Reagan should have just, I don't know, punched Mikhail Gorbachev, I guess, the way, the way that these leftists... Um, just the madness that, that exists here. If you don't have the certain amount of hatred for um, every Russian today, and I don't know if you saw, but Facebook and Instagram, Oz, you might like this. Facebook and Instagram at least said temporarily you can – let me make sure I get this correct. Um, you can temporarily – they're going to temporarily allow for calls of violence against Russians. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. You can, I don't know if it's temporarily, if it's over now. This is reported in Reuters. Reuters um, got some emails from the people at Meta. <laughs> Gosh, the Facebook people. And in those emails, basically, Nick Clegg is, I guess, one of them. Um, we want them, the Russian people, to continue to make their voices heard, share what's happening, and organize through Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger. Well, that'd be Nice if people like President Trump could do that, if people like the trucker convoy could do that, if people who actually did things like Project – I don't know if Project Veritas is banned from Facebook, but I think they are from Twitter. But it would be nice if those folks had a platform. Vladimir Putin still has his Twitter account, at least the official um, account so far as I understand it, um, for the president of Russia. But this this war – this this battle of ideologies. Let me make it make it clear. Putin is a communist, <laughs> folks. Putin's a communist. Putin was a KGB officer. Putin has aspirations of building back what collapsed in the nineteen. Well, it started collapsing in the nineteen eighties. You could say it, you could say it started collapsing the day it was formed, because it was built upon lies and morally bankrupt uh, a morally bankrupt worldview and it collapsed and Putin aspires to rebuild that he was involved as I said in, in the in the KGB he he admires he longs for the reestablishment of that and that of course is is in his mind and today's radical left loved. They loved the Soviet communist. I'm just tell I this is undeniable. They would defend their um, their economy. They would defend their way of life. They would say that the American media misrepresented what was going on. I sat through these classes. I won't say the name of the professor. I don't even know if he's still teaching at Butler, but he he lived in the Soviet Union for a while. And I think one of his missions was to get us to believe just how good that place was because it sounded so great to so many people from each according to his ability 
to each according to his needs. We hold hands and sing kumbaya around the fire. And folks, it led to the death and destruction and and lack of, of liberty and freedom and resources and opportunities. It killed the soul of people who longed to be free. And Republicans were on the right side of that. They were against that. They were in favor of watching the world become more free, not less free, under under these radical lovers of big government. And make no mistake, that is what a socialist or a socialist is. It's what a communist is. They might they might disagree on how much the government should take over, but their starting premise is that the government has authority over the individual, at least in some very critical areas. Maybe it's quote unquote just over his pocketbook, just over her pocketbook, as the socialist would have you believe. Or maybe it's utter and complete domination and control as the communist would would believe. But here's let's go back and listen to the soundbite. This is Obama telling Mitt Romney that, hey, our problems with Russia are in the rearview mirror, my friend. Nothing left to see here. Everything is good and peachy. Everything's fine. The Russia of the 1980s is no longer with us. Here's what he said. Governor Romney, I'm glad that you recognize that al-Qaeda is a threat because a few months ago when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not al-Qaeda. You said Russia. In the 1980s or now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because, you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. He's practiced this. But, Governor, you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to our foreign policy, Think. Get it we right. seem to want to import the foreign policies of the 1980s. There you go. Just like the social policies of the 1950s mm-hmm. and the economic policies of the 1920s. So that's that's what he said. That's what Obama said to Mitt Romney, to the American people at that debate. It was a staged performance, but that's what debates are. I don't, I don't necessarily fault fault him for that. But you could tell this was practiced, this was rehearsed. He was waiting for his opportunity. In fact, you could see him pausing, make sure I get the the dates right here. They would never, by the way, <laughs> they would never, by the way, do this for Joe Biden. He would have a cheat sheet. He would need an earpiece. Ain't no way Biden gets away with saying the 1980s called and want their foreign policy back, just like the 1950 called and. 50s called and wanted social policies back, and the 1920s called and want their economic policies back. Right? That's the Biden. I can't imagine what Biden would say. We, we'd hear references to corn pop, probably something his dad told him as a kid, the mailman. I don't know, but he couldn't pull that off. Obama barely could. He had to think and really focus. That was one of the things that they practiced on before that before that debate. But remember that. Remember, Russia was minimized. And then, of course, four short years later, Russia became uh, the target, I guess, of of the Democrats blaming Russia for Trump winning. And then we had to go through those shenanigans. And make no mistake either, and I'm really long going to take a break here, but make no mistake, those fears of of Trump-Russian collusion fuels this as well. I'm not saying – do not misunderstand me. I'm not defending Russia. I'm saying – we're starting from a point of being unable, at least a lot of people are, of thinking about every consequence here objectively. How this the good and the bad. Why are we why are we banning Russian oil when we have done nothing to make sure that we get 
more oil domestically? Are we going to pay the Iranians? Are we going to pay the Venezuelans for this as well? I mean, to act like the Iranians are some you know, morally superior to Russia, I just, these, these decisions require context and, and depth. And if you just aren't out there, you know, saying whatever needs to happen, we're on board as one of these ridiculous congresswomen uh, from the Democrat parties on, uh, on camera saying, and I'll play that next segment, then it's not good enough. It's a race. There, there's no room for context or discussion or anything. And that's when really bad things happen. Yes, Russia is bad. Yes, Russia is the enemy. They have been the enemy, folks, for a long, long time. And I'm super long in this segment. Quick timeout. Listening to conservative, not better talk, my friends, back here in mere moments. Welcome back here. All right, having some issue there with my soundboard. I got it figured out. I Before the break, I had shared with you, I think I may have alluded to this yesterday. There's a congresswoman from the state of Florida. Her name is Maria Salazar, and she's on video here. She's on video. You can see the Capitol in the background. See the nation's capital in the background, and she is talking, ranting about Russia and Ukraine. Again, for the record, Russia, and when I say Russia, I mean the Russian leadership. Just like I say when we talk about Iran, the Iranian leadership. Just like when we talk about the crazy man running North Korea. the problem is not the people. And and we've lost Twitter, uh, Facebook, excuse me, Facebook and Instagram, meta, if you will, completely missing the, the point here. I guess we can suddenly, it's okay to engage in hate speech um, against Russians. Temporarily, again, a headline here from the post-millennial I talked about last segment, Facebook, Instagram, temporarily allow calls for violence against Russians. And, you know, this is the danger. The, the, the founders were brilliant insofar as the founder, well, lots of reasons, but they wanted the people's house to be kind of the, the House of Representatives to have kind of the pulse of the people. And they wanted the Senate, which at one point in time was actually representative senators, were actually elected by the legislatures of the various states, which I still maintain that changing that is... Um, it was not a good, not a good thing. Um, senators used to be, you know, a, accountable to the state legislature, which was still indirectly represented by the people. But you had to answer to the people running the state instead of the same exact things that a representative would have to answer for. That, that's a good thing. That's a that's a balance. And so, but it was at one point in time. They still say this, but it's just it's not true when you've got people like Chuck Schumer running the show. So the Senate is supposed to be the great deliberative body. The Senate now this soundbite's coming from a House of Representatives member, so I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying. I'm simply pointing out that we're supposed to have the pulse of the people balanced by this great deliberative body. 
the pulse of the people, the House of Representatives, those folks get elected or they're up for election every single time there's a national, a federal election, every two years. Senators are up one time out of every three because they serve a six-year term. And so there's a difference there. The, the balance and the the interests that they represent are certainly similar, but they're different important aspects. At least that's how the founders set it up, and that's why the state legislatures would elect senators uh, to the U.S. U.S. Senate. So there's supposed to be this great deliberative body in the U.S. Senate, and there's supposed to be this pulse of the people thing in the House of Representatives, which is why all spending bills are supposed to originate in the House. It's supposed to be you know, this is what the people want sort of thing. And then the Senate sits back and says, okay, and they were supposed to look at it through the lens of what does my state, what is our state legislature trying to do? We've lost that element of this. Everything just becomes, I mean, mass hysteria. And I, case in point with this soundbite. So you're not allowed, you're not allowed to discuss Russia, right? You're not allowed to even... For example, Facebook. Can you imagine Facebook saying it's okay in any other place in the world that it's okay to temporarily? No idea what temporarily means. Is that 24 hours? Is this like the purge? I mean, what is this? Temporarily allow calls for violence against Russians. Can you imagine if we temporarily? I know that they would have loved to have a, well, not temporary, but a permanent uh, purge on people that went to the nation's capital on January 6th. A permanent um, freedom to call for violence against President Donald Trump. But could you imagine if they, I mean, why? Why would you allow this in one place? I mean, we know why, but it's just, it's it's not logical. It just goes to show the pressures here. And we're not even thinking about this. It's just, I mean, we, we talked briefly about the Cold War uh, first segment. Do you know the Cold War lasted, what was it, 40 40 some years, almost 50 years from the basically the end of the uh, World War II until the early 90s, the Cold War existed and it was basically <laughs> we were we were allied with the uh, with with Russia, with Joseph Stalin back in World War II to defeat Hitler. And at the conclusion of the war, the West realized well the West knew this before. But they had to stop Hitler first. At the conclusion of the war, they realized, hey, we can't let Russia have complete dominance over Europe. It's all going to be Soviet. It's all going to be communist. It's all going to be antithetical to Western civilization and to freedom, and it's going to be a real problem because communism by nature kills and communism grows through, I mean, force. That's what happened. And so they divided Europe effectively. We had East and West Berlin. We had the Berlin Wall. We had people locked in, locked into their own country. Think about that. Locked into their own country for decades, forced into the Soviet system. It's the only way that it works. You have to acquire more people, more producers, and then because gradually over time, people stop producing because there's no incentive for them to do so. And... It creates really, really terrible economies. It sucks the life out of the people. And, of course, the leaders can feel good about that because a beaten down people is easier to rule over and reign than a freedom-loving, prosperous, uh, energetic, don't-tread-on-me sort of folk. So that goes all the way back to that particular 
you know, point in, in our, in our history. Right. And we've, we've fought these things in some way, shape or form. And I mentioned earlier, the left was on the side, the left, the radical left was on the side of the communists. There's no getting, no getting around this. But what we've lost here is the ability to have rational discussions. What we've lost here is to say, the ability to say, are there any other ramifications for some of these measures? I mean, we've we've escalated, and that's what I was starting to get to. We've escalated in a couple of weeks beyond. I mean, it's as intense now between the United States and Russia as it was during the Cold War, which took 40-some years, half a century almost, as long as Biden's been in office. And so, not as the president, but in elected official in Washington, D.C. And we've gone, we've gotten to that point in a couple of weeks over the, compared to what it was for 40, 40 years, right? And to act like this has nothing to do with leadership, to act like this is, um, I, I don't know, just that there's, it, it's all chock full of emotion. You better get the Ukraine flag on your, and I don't care if you have it, fine. But there's no room for any discussion. You just support it. And if you don't say some of the crazy things that Maria Salazar says, you're not in favor of freedom enough. And I, folks, th- that is a dangerous way of looking at things. And I got to play her sound by next segment because I'm long here. But again, Representative Maria Salazar from Florida on camera here. It's a 25 second clip. That I'm going to play next segment, talking, basically calling, I don't know how else to frame this, but to tell you she's calling for war with with Russia. Whatever it takes, she says. I don't know. Is she calling for nuclear war? I mean, this, thank goodness, this was not the mentality of Ronald Reagan in the 1980s because it would have been a much, much, much different ending. Quick time out, my friends, back here in just a minute. <laughs> Really short segment. This program, by the way, brought to you in part by our friends at Shepherd Community Center. Folks, Shepherd Community does some really, really great things on the near east side of Indianapolis. Um, lots of ways that you can volunteer, lots of ways that you can help out um, all throughout the year. All throughout the year. And with inflation, with inflation, um, I know Jay shared on. Um, I think it was TV. No, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was radio recently um, when we talked that inflation's really hitting them. So if you have a heart to help folks at Shepherd, in particular the people that they serve, what they seek to do is help break the cycle of poverty here on the Near East Side of Indianapolis. Check them out. Go to their website. Or you can give them a call directly, 317-375-0203, 317-375-0203. You can also visit shepherdcommunity.org. So let's play this soundbite I've was i been referencing. This is Representative Maria Salazar. She is a Democrat. She is from Florida. And I just want you to listen to this. This, this is the sort of thing that our founders really didn't want to see happening as far as an emotional reaction. Yes, you can believe Russia is evil. Yes, it's terrible that they've invaded Ukraine. Yes, we should, we we have, we want this to stop, right? But 
to say this is this is dangerous. This response of hers is dangerous. And I want you to listen, listen to the just it's all pure emotion. Listen to this. And, and, and do you support a no-fly zone in Ukraine? I support everything that has to do everything. with punishing Vladimir Putin that and helping the Ukrainians. Wouldn't that mean direct conventional warfare with Russia? I don't this. know what it will mean, but you know freedom is not free. So you don't know what a no-fly zone will mean. If you, if you have to shoot down Russian planes, I mean. Of course. So a conventional war with Russia. Listen, thank you. Listen, thank you. Oh, she, doesn't, she doesn't know. She doesn't know. And look, I appreciate, folks. I appreciate the, the 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 passion here. We have, we have what's neglected over this because of the the politics and the just just how everything is political in today's world is what's what's overlooked is that there are real people in Ukraine that are suffering, and folks, there are real people in Russia that don't want this to happen. They're being silenced. They're being threatened. They're being rounded up. Again, it's not the people that are the problem. It's not the people that are the problem. It's the leaders. It's the way that these things always, always work. Leadership, type of government. Those are the problems that we're dealing with here. And yes, this can be traced back. I mean, you can trace this back to the Russian Revolution back in 1917. And on the one hand, it's certainly gotten much, much worse under President Joseph R. Biden. There's no denying that. There's no denying that. It's funny how the media, the left, want to bring on experts to explain, well, this was this was really Trump's fault or somebody else's fault. This is just Biden was just sitting here and this this kind of happened. And and look, to a certain degree, I'll acknowledge that because I mean I've acknowledged that this was over, you know, the his, history matters. The direction and the course of things matter, but I, you know what else matters? Reality matters, and who is who they wait to have in office in the United States before they invade a place, which is Joseph Biden usually, whether he's president or vice president. Um, that's quite telling. But we have members of Congress that are, I mean, these are fair discussions to have. What do we do? But to say I'm in favor of everything, what does that mean? Do you want to nuke Moscow, Representative Maria Salazar? I just, that is such a dangerous, dangerous way of approaching this. And there's a lot of that right now. And you're not allowed to have a discussion. We're just supposed to, I guess, be led by folks who are responding like this. And that should concern all of us. Quick time out, my friends, back here in just a minute. my friends. So I want to address something here in the final moments of the program. <clears throat> I, well, this is something that'll probably come back up again, but I've noticed a lot of this and you probably have too, when it comes to gas prices, the answer, the, the answer from so many as to why, um, gas prices are so high is corporate greed. Corporate greed is is the answer to that, um, and I just I have some some thoughts on that. This is so much more complicated than that. Um, I played a soundbite yesterday from the CEO of 
ConocoPhillips, and he basically explained that, look, we there's a need, right? There's a need. People demand oil. We produce to meet that need. We don't control it. The demand is what the demand is, right? That's That's a thing. And when factors arise that drive prices up, it slows demand. So the, of course, the factors or the, the market conditions can make demand people have less demand because they can't afford it or whatever the case may be. Um, but I, for one, <laughs> I mean, I think I think you should be too. But shouldn't we all be thankful that in 2020, when they all lost billions of dollars, all these big oil companies, shouldn't we all be grateful that they had profits from previous years to sustain that? And by the way, is it greed if an employee wants to negotiate a salary and get as much as he or she can get? And is it greedy to want a profit at all? How much profit is too much? We heard Elizabeth Warren, who Rush brilliantly called Focahontas, all those years, which I can say is the direct descendant of Pocahontas. But you look at this and and you find yourself in this, there's not even room to have a discussion. People just want to say corporate, corporate greed, which really is a code word for I'm a socialist or I've bought in to this. And I'm not saying there cannot be any corporate greed, but the the forces that prevent people from trying to get too much are other competitive forces, right? And so if we have competitors out there, if you have other companies who are competing for market share and to sell and move their product, I mean, that's what keeps people in check, not Joseph Biden and not Elizabeth Warren in there looking and making sure they're not making too much profit. What on earth does that even mean? What does it mean to make too much profit? Something is worth what people are willing to pay for it and what someone else is willing to sell it for. That's why the answer to this, my friends, is to allow for more drilling, to allow for more U.S. production, to not put barriers. Now, these are not going to fix the problem tomorrow, just like just like these decisions didn't change things overnight, but they happened pretty quickly, right, because we didn't have these, these problems under President President Trump. But this this talk about corporate greed, and I'm not saying there's not greedy corporations. I'm just saying that there are there are more mechanisms to address that than there are mechanisms to address a greedy government. Because what's required to keep a greedy government in check is a group of citizens who are engaged and prepared to hold their representatives accountable. Quick time out, my friends, back in a minute. <laughs> My friends, look, this this fight over political ideology, not going anywhere. I just, again, we ought to be able, I, I wish we had more people standing up for free market capitalism because if we, if we lose those arguments, or worse yet, if we don't make them, we're really headed in a, I mean, just, it's, it'll be the end of the United States of America as we know it. Not predicting that. In fact, I'm very hopeful. That's why we talk about these things on here. And and to defend capitalism doesn't mean that you protect or defend every individual capitalist. It's, that's just not the way it works. But the ideology 
is so much more sound than what we're dealing with with what the radical left wants. So anyway, out of time on that. I want to tell you, too, just to give you a quick update, we are about to head a little bit further west. We've made a little bit of change to our to our plans. We're actually going to be um, headed to White Sands National Park, a little bit west of where we are now in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Then we'll head up to Albuquerque for a bit. I've never never been there. Looking forward to that. And then begin our pro- – we're going to go back, be back in Indy for a bit here later this spring. So anyway, just wanted to give you an update on that, folks. That's all the time that we have. Music's telling me it's time to shut my mouth. Have a great weekend, folks. Thanks for listening. SDGC Monday.